This is Becker's Healthcare Women's Leadership Podcast. I'm Molly Gamble, your host, Vice President of Editorial for Becker's Healthcare and Editor-in-Chief at Becker's Hospital Review. Today, I'm happy to speak with Lorraine Lutton, President and CEO of Mount Carmel Health System in Columbus, Ohio. Lorraine joined Mount Carmel in April 2020 as CEO. Previously, she served as President and CEO at Roper St. Francis Healthcare in Charleston, South Carolina. Her dedication to the health and well-being of Mount Carmel's patients and staff is rooted in a long-standing commitment to safe, high-quality care. During her time in South Carolina, she was responsible for the strategic and operational results of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, including redefining the system's strategic plan and its financial performance. Prior to her role at Roper St. Francis Healthcare, she also served as president of St. Joseph's Hospital in Tampa, Florida. She earned her bachelor's from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and her MBA from the Anderson Graduate School of Management at UCLA. Lorraine, thank you for joining me today and for being on the Women's Leadership Podcast. Well, Molly, thank you for having me. Right, so, you know, Lorraine, as I was sharing your introduction, this is twice now you have been named the first woman to lead an organization. I'm curious, does the stakes or does the fact that you're the first woman named that top position add any pressure or raise the stakes for your work in your experience? Um, I don't think so. I think that um, probably the pressure of, of and the responsibilities of leading an organization are probably the same regardless of whether you're male or female. Um, I was blessed uh, early in my career as, as I sort of advanced um, to be in Catholic healthcare where, you know, the nuns, female leaders uh, were, were the norm. And so uh, it wasn't unusual for me to think about being a, a leader of a healthcare organization. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the diminishing role of the nuns in American healthcare is something that's been recorded over the past several years. Is there any unique facet they brought to those roles in your experience that you think is going to be missed once they are, or if they are ever completely out of administrative positions? Absolutely. The nuns, um, you know, have been such special and, and charismatic leaders for Catholic health care for hundreds of years. And uh, I think that they were able to do things that I'm not able to do as a lay leader. Uh, I, there's a funny story about a pediatrician in Tampa who went in to, to ask for call pay from a nun and the nun said, you know, you'll get your reward in heaven. Um, but I'm not able to do that today. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Negotiations, I imagine, can't conclude on, with that line in your office. Um, you know, Lorraine, how would you describe your, your own leadership style? Um, my leadership style is transparent and inclusive, and I strive to listen and learn from everyone around me. Uh, I grew up playing a lot of team-based sports and believe that you have to really optimize every member of the team in order to achieve the goals that you want to, to you set for yourself. Um, I do believe in a very goal-oriented team, but how we achieve those goals is important. Mm -hmm. That's so important to mention. And that it's not only just accomplishing and exceeding the goals and meeting them, but how you do so is just so critical to a team's morale, their well-being, um, their how long they'll stay on that team. I believe in getting the best leaders around me, people smarter than me, people who know their um, functional roles better than I would ever know them, and then really helping bring the group together to, to make sure that we're focusing on the right things and that we're supporting each other as we move forward. 
Absolutely. And you mentioned sports have been really influential in how you view team dynamics. Can you share a bit more about which sports you, you've played in the past or still do? I'm curious to learn what those are. Well, growing up, I, I was six years old in 1972 when Title IX passed. So before you do the math, I'm 54. Um, but I played every sport that was in season, and that was pretty common back then. Um, so basketball, volleyball, track, gymnastics, cheerleading, uh, cross country, flag football, we played it all. Um, and then in college, I was actually on the fencing team and wow. was able to have leadership roles both throughout my, you know, playing on both co-ed and same-sex teams um, has been really helpful, I think, in developing qualitative skills around leadership. Definitely. Fencing. I have, I don't know many people who have much experience in fencing as a really interesting pastime. Do you still play at all or, or joust? Is that the correct verb? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't fence anymore. I haven't fenced in a while, but uh, it is a great sport. And I was recruited out of a gym class in, at, at the University of North Carolina as a freshman. Um, but it is a varsity sport and was able to go on and, and lead the team and go to nationals. And uh, it was a great experience. Wow. Very, very interesting. So I, I do want to talk about, I mean, you've assumed your leadership role at Mount Carmel in April, which just was an extraordinary time period for leaders as it is. But I imagine, especially are you, if you are just beginning a new job with a new organization, what did you find most helpful during that transition, assuming our listeners, should they be in a position where they're either onboarding someone into their organization in a time of crisis, if they're doing so themselves, what did you find most helpful that perhaps others would benefit from, from hearing about? Well, I think the good things about uh, coming on during the middle of the pandemic is that the team had already formed instant command. And as you know, in healthcare, that's very universal structure and the team was working very well to, to address the immediate needs of the COVID pandemic. Um, so that allowed me not to have to jump into the weeds of that, but really think about regular onboarding. The challenges, of course, are that normal onboarding is meeting and greeting and getting to know people and building relationships very quickly. And um, we tried to do that in virtual ways, which was helpful, uh, not quite the same as shaking hands, um, but it was very, very good. Our team has done a great job. We've had a lot of town hall forums and uh, you know, nursing forums, and I, we started something called Here to Listen, which is um, an open virtual forum with me and any colleague who wants to jump on, um, leadership meetings, uh, you know, at the same time, we had racial uh, unrest, and so we had webinars on diversity and inclusion. We've been um, very intentional about trying to use virtual uh, in ways that we normally would have been in person. Um, as things have, have, as we've learned more about the disease and things have calmed down a little bit in the state of Ohio, I have been masking up and making more rounds in the facilities and trying to um, to talk with leaders, to do, we call it gamble walks, but basically going to where the value is created and um, talking with frontline leaders about, about their work and their improvement work and how things are going. So we've been able to do more of that recently, but initially it was, um, it was a challenge. I imagine, yeah. And you know, when you talk about virtual interactions and meetings, you know, I think about how even my own team conducted Zoom meetings in March and April, and then how they've evolved over time to our meetings now. Is there anything in specific you've noticed about how those communications virtually have taken shape or what perhaps you didn't feel as comfortable doing early on that you've gained some comfort and ease with over time? I think like everyone else in the country, we've all gotten a little bit um, more comfortable on every platform, Zoom, WebEx, GoToMeetings. You know, we're all using all these various technologies. And I think um, 
I ask people to actually show their face. So we actually aren't, you know, so we actually can have expressions. I think it's helpful. Um, you know, I think just like everyone else, we've gotten a lot more comfortable and, and nobody cares if the baby's crying and the dog's barking. And it just, it just is humanizing in some ways uh, yeah. that people respect that we have um, things outside of work that you're going to get to see because many of us are working from home. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I hope, I do personally, I hope that's one facet of um, working relationships that stays even when things resume to normal. Um, but, you know, speaking of that, I think it's this glimpse into people's personal lives, you know, working from home uh, has kind of given us a better picture of the balance many employees strike that perhaps wasn't as visible to us before. And work-life balance, I mean, that is just such a conversation that's always made to be about women, especially. And you lead an all-women hospital leadership team. Can you tell me more about that team, what it's like working with these four hospital presidents? Um, and we're going to also talk more about the stereotypes that these teams can run into in a bit, but I would just love to learn more about them uh, and what it's been like getting to know them over the past several months. Yeah, so one of the, um, just a little context, when I came into Mount Carmel Health System during the middle of the pandemic, we, we had been uh, financially stressed even before the COVID pandemic. So we had to do some right sizing the organization pretty quickly. So when I came in, um, we downsized our executive team a little bit and rearranged some of the leaders to take on more responsibilities. And that's how we have three uh, hospital presidents who are leading our acute care division. Um, they are amazing people. And I don't think say that just because of their gender, but they are the perfect fit for the roles that they are in at this time. Um, they're also diverse. So of the, of the three of them, one is African-American, one is Asian-American. Um, but they have the right skill set and talent and um, uh, compassion and empathy and, and really uh, the right, right personality and demeanor to take on the roles that they're taking on today. Mm -hmm. So three, three hospital presidents. I think I earlier misstated four. Okay. Well, we have four hospitals, but one president is over two of them. I see. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. And, you know, I think something that's interesting is that I'm sure you've encountered some stereotypes about especially, you know, given your sports experience, but all female teams, are there any really long health stereotypes or beliefs about teams that are made up entirely of women that you feel your experience as far has given you some basis to challenge or dispel? Well, I think, um, you know, stereotypes can be positive or they can be negative. I think if the stereotype is, is um, negative, such as, you know, filled with drama or, uh, uh, you know, emotional. I don't, this team is not that. Uh, if the stereotype is compassion and listening well and responding and working together as a team, this team is that. But I'm not sure that all of us as leaders shouldn't be nurturing and cultivating better compassion and empathy and listening and teamwork. So I don't know if it's a gender specific trait, but um, our team certainly um, exemplifies those traits. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. I mean, I, it sounds like a really supportive uh, and effective working environment and team. Um, and, you know, I think just one other thought in closing, you mentioned given the racial tension we've seen over the past several months, I was just curious what it's been like collaborating with these female colleagues in this really challenging time for Americans and just how you've sent a message throughout your own workplace and system to groups and people who might feel underrepresented or not as included as they otherwise should be? Um, 
Yes, I was actually, Columbus is uh, the state capital as well as the headquarters, you know, Ohio State's here as well. But um, I was renting a, a small apartment downtown right near the state house. And so it really had a front row seat to many of the protests that have occurred in Ohio. Uh, and one morning I went out for an early morning jog right after George Floyd was killed and found, you know, broken glass throughout the city. Uh, the, the protest had turned um, violent and the anger and the angst that was evident in terms of the impact it had on our city was just so obvious to me. Um, I ended up sending out an, an, an email that night um, just to all of our colleagues saying, you know, we're here, we're here to support each other. We understand um, everyone's experiences is different and we want to support each other as an inclusive and caring organization. Um, we have been blessed though with African-American leaders. So I have 16 overall executives, 10 of whom are women, two of whom are black females. And so the African-American women helped us put together, uh, again, webinars with uh, all leaders initially, and then all colleagues um, to talk about and just share stories and uh, about their experiences to help us all better understand. Uh, those experiences have, are compelling and, um, if I want to share one now, this might be a little long, but I will tell you that one of our African-American leaders on her wedding night, she's in her wedding gown. Her husband's in his tux. They're at a fancy hotel, finest hotel in one of our cities here in, in, in uh, Ohio. And um, somebody, another guest of the hotel, slides the keys off to, you know, to, the, to the groom and says, don't scratch my car when you're parking it. That was her wedding night. Um, and that filled her with anger. And think about that. It's, it's your, that's her memory of her wedding day. Mm -hmm. right. so, so the experiences that our colleagues go through are very personal. And if they're willing to share those stories and help us all learn and understand, I think it will help us, uh, compel us to uh, be a better organization, to be better people and more inclusive in how we think. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. That's a very unfortunate story, but I'm so glad to hear that your colleague felt comfortable to share that. Um, I, I imagine that uh, I, you know, I've heard stories myself from C-level executives who, from years, they've held quietly or kept um, constrained and kind of compartmentalized to their personal life and out of their professional, that they have felt renewed energy and sharing in the workplace over the past several months. So um, I'm, I'm very glad we're at a position, although I'm very sorry those events occurred, I'm glad we are in a position where you can hear them and people feel added comfort in sharing them. So. Um, a testament to the workplace that you and your colleagues are setting out to create and having more of those open exchanges and dialogues. Right. It, it's not about that individual story, but the fact that people are comfortable and they see her as a leader feeling comfortable sharing that, that story and being, um, again, bringing her whole self to work. Right. Exactly. Well, Lorraine, I want to thank you for your time and catching up with me today. Uh, I wish you continued success in your first year with Mount Carmel and just the absolute best to you and your team. So thank you for being on the podcast and being my guest. Thank you, Molly. It's so nice to get to know you.